Well, good morning again. You could do better. Good morning. All right. Hey, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, if you will. Matthew chapter 8. We're going to pick up on uh, the first miracle in the second set of miracles. Matthew chapter 8, and uh, we will be starting in verse 23. If you don't have your own Bible, there should be several Bibles scattered in the pew backs in front of you, or you can follow along. Uh, screen behind me, Matthew chapter 8, starting verse 23. So uh, last uh, weekend, uh, Shelley and I uh, decided to get our sort of semi-annual uh, membership to Creekside. We typically do that during the wintertime uh, so that we can exercise and take the children swimming. Uh, and so we were there for the first or second time, and uh, we were enjoying that. And uh, saw your daughter number two, child number three. We were all sitting in the hot tub together, and uh, sh- we most of us were in the hot tub. She happened to, to be sitting sort of on the side of the hot tub, dangling her feet, sort of in the water, enjoying the bubbles on her feet, that sort of thing. And uh, we were just talking uh, together, and sort of out of the blue, she said, Dad, Dad, look, as she was sort of uh, dangling, moving her feet along the top of the water. She said, Dad, look, I can walk on water. I was like, amazing. It would be amazing if you could, right? Uh, Apparently, you know, maybe she heard that in Sunday school, or maybe we read it the night before, I don't know. But apparently the miracle of Jesus walking on water was fresh on her mind. And she wanted to, to try to emulate that. But, you know, um, and, and it sort of this just highlights, we laugh at that when she says that, because we obviously know that she can't do that. What does it mean when a, a person can walk on water? It tells you something about them, Right? Well, as we look at Matthew chapter 8, starting in verses uh, 23 through 27, we're going to take a look at miracle number one in the second set of miracles, Jesus' miracles over nature. Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute, Jesus doesn't walk on water in this passage. And you're correct. He does not walk on water in this passage. Uh, He does that later. So stick with us. We'll get there. However, Jesus does do a miracle with the water, does he not? He controls the winds and the waves with his very... Uh, word, teaching us that Jesus is creator God. He is the creator God, and thus he has authority over all of nature, and he demonstrates it in this first miracle. One of the things you'll notice, it's a very short section, starting in verse 23, running through verse 27. One of the things you'll notice about this section is that Matthew sort of moves the camera lens, if you will. Imagine that that he's recording this scene for us. Uh, He sort of moves the camera lens from the students, that is, from the disciples, to the storm. So it he begins with the students, and then he goes back to the storm, and then he, he, he pans back to the students and their response, and then he pans back to the storm. And so there, we have this back and forth movement here in these verses that you'll notice as we begin. So I hope you're there with me, verse 23. Let's begin as we see the students, Jesus' disciples, as we see the students submit. They follow their Lord and Savior. So Matthew begins this miracle in verse 23. Then he, speaking of Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. So we return to the story where we left it a couple weeks ago with Matthew's simple yet profound transitional statement. This is a transition statement. Jesus gets on the boat and we are told that his disciples follow him. Sounds easy enough. 
but there are some profound, some profound truths that we'll see here. Let's set the scene, right? You may recall from a couple weeks ago that Jesus is in the city of Capernaum on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. He uh, was in uh, Peter's house, and evening comes. It's dark, the stars are out, you can see the moon. It's, it's evening time, and many people stream to Peter's house because they need healing physically. They bring those that are demon-possessed, and Jesus heals all of them. And then you may recall something else. Two men approach Jesus, starting in verse 18. They're about to get into the boat, right? They intend to go to the other side of the sea, the eastern side of the sea, called uh, the Decapolis. It was a primarily Gentile region, so Jesus is, is, is sort of setting sail, no pun intended. He's going to go across the other side to a different kind of ministry. But then two men approach Jesus, wanting to be his followers. Remember that a couple weeks ago? It's important. The first one was a scribe. He wants to follow Jesus, right? And Jesus says, you need to count the cost. You need to count the cost of what it means to follow me. The second man approaches him, and he is a son. He says, let me first bury my father, then I'll follow you. And what what does Jesus say? He says, you follow me, right? Right now, you follow me. I'm first, and let the dead bury their own dead. So on the heels of these two potential disciples, coming to Jesus, wanting to follow Jesus. Then, verse 23, then Jesus got into the boat. Now, a little bit about this boat. You can see a picture behind me. I think I've got a picture of a boat that might have been something like the one that Jesus steps into. In 1986, uh, this first century boat was discovered uh, in the very same region, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and it was likely a typical working boat that Jesus and his disciples would have used for fishing. About 26 feet long, about 7 feet wide. It could hold about 13 or 14 people max. So when we read here that Jesus got into the boat, It's not the Titanic he's getting in here, right? He's he's getting into something like this. So he gets into the boat, and then we get this all-important phrase. We can move on from that picture. All-important phrase, and his disciples, what? Followed him. They followed him. Does this include, include the scribe? Does it include the son? We don't know. We aren't told. But what we do know is that those who had committed to follow Jesus as his disciples did so. They did so. They followed him. Here is the first point I want us to see as we will see several lessons of discipleship from this little miracle. Discipleship lesson number one. Disciples of Jesus follow him wherever he goes. It's the first thing I think we can see. Disciples of Jesus follow him wherever it is that he goes. In his little book, S.I. Millen uh, tells a story, a story of a young woman, and she wanted to go to college, so she applied, and she read one of the questionnaires on the application blank, and the question read this, this way. It's a simple question. Do you consider yourself to be a leader? And the young woman was both uh, honest and conscientious, and she, she knew that she really wasn't. And so she filled in the blank, no. I'm more of a follower. And of course, she expected then not to uh, get into that college with such an answer. However, uh, weeks passed and she got a a letter and, and the letter from the college said this way, Dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We're accepting you because we feel it's imperative 
that they have at least one follower. You know, she understood who she was. She was a follower, not a leader. And that's what disciples understand as well. They follow. That's what disciples of Jesus do back then and still today. We follow him first by trusting him as our savior. He paid the price for our sins on the cross. He rose again and he offers us the free gift of salvation and eternal life, forgiveness of sins. That's how we first follow him. And then when we receive that gift, our hearts are changed. The Bible says we are born again. We're made new people and, and our hearts then want to follow him wherever he leads us. We seek to obey him. We want to be sensitive to him. So friends, let me say it as clearly as I can. If you are living your life without caring what Jesus wants, without caring what Jesus says, without seeking to obey him, without a heart that is sensitive and tender to his leading, but rather you're simply doing what you want, you're living your own way, you're having it your way, then friends, you can't be, you are not a disciple of Jesus. Because disciples of Jesus follow him wherever it is that he goes. Well, in verse 23, we've seen the students submit. But in verse 24, the storm is going to be stirred. Let's take a look in verse 24. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Love that verse. So everyone is in the boat. All of the disciples of Jesus who wanted to follow him, they follow him. And suddenly, sort of out of the blue, a storm arises on the Sea of Galilee. So much so that Matthew tells us that the waves were crashing over this little boat. Certainly water was accumulating, threatening both the boat's existence as well as the very lives of of those that were on board. So it would seem. The Sea of Galilee, you can see a picture of it behind me, I think. The Sea of Galilee, um, historically speaking, was infamous for its sudden and violent storms. Still today, I am told that these storms sort of arise out of nowhere because of the ge- geography around it. And so this, this nighttime storm was stirred. And as the storm stirred, let's take a look at the verse again. We, we read a curious detail don't we, at the end of the verse? But Jesus was sleeping. It always strikes me as odd, right? The storm is raging, and the Savior is sleeping. It's somewhat understandable. It's nighttime. Presumably, Jesus had had a very busy day, doing all sorts of miracles and teachings with people pressing in upon him. See, Jesus was fully God, right? Fully God. He demonstrated it with his miracles. But here we see a picture of his humanity, don't we? He was not only fully God, but he was fully man, fully human, just like us. And, and he likely was tired. And so he, he goes uh, to, 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 to bed. He takes a nap and this storm arises, it's certainly not stated in the text, but, but one pastor suggested that it could be possible that Jesus was sleeping rather than sort of being up and about helping in the boat because his disciples, could it be possible that they had sort of taken charge of the boat? See, they had been with him all day and he was teaching and he was doing the miracles and, and they were learning. Certainly, it's just so much to take in. And Jesus says, okay, guys, get in the boat, go across the lake, and now they're in their sweet spot, right? 
I mean, these men likely in the boat with him, we aren't told who exactly was in the boat, but likely a great majority of them were fishermen. Uh, they were from the region. They, they, they're, this is their home turf, right? So Jesus, it's okay. Just sit there, right? Buckle up. Have some popcorn. It's going to be okay. Let us do our thing, all right? We can handle a simple trip across the lake, they thought. Were they right? No, they were wrong. And friends, I kind of wonder if we can do this sometimes to Jesus. You know, we can say to him, it's great that you are the savior of things in heaven, but down here on earth, life, this is sort of my area of expertise. You can just sit there, you can take a nap if you want. I can handle it. Life's good, you know. Just, just sit there. We sort of treat Jesus like a beach ball. We, you know, you've ever taken a beach ball to the beach or to the pool and you, you want to push it underwater so you can ride it or play with it. And, and you know, you have to exert pressure, don't you, to get that ball underwater. And what does that ball keep wanting to do? It just wants to rise to the surface, right? It wants to rise to the top. You know, it's the same with Jesus. Uh, he wants to rise to the top of our lives. He wants to always exert his authority, his lordship over all that we are, but because of our sinful, fallen nature, we, we tend to just suppress him, don't we? We just kind of push him down, push him there to the, to the hole of the boat. See, the disciples thought, eh, they, can, they can handle this. Surely we can handle this. But they couldn't, and it leads us to a second application, because disciples of Jesus not only follow him wherever he goes, but disciples of Jesus make him Lord over all of life, right? There is no Jesus sit in the boat. We recognize that we need him in all of life, all the time. Well, as the storm stirred, the Savior slept, and in verse 25, the attention turns back to the students, and we see their fear the students are scared in verse 25. The disciples then went and they woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are going to drown. So in response to the storm, the disciples eventually, at some point, we're not told, uh, decide to wake Jesus, right? Presumably, um, they had tried their best. They had done whatever they could to make it through the storm. And they uh, realized that even though they were seasoned fishermen, likely they were veterans on, the, on the, the Sea of Galilee, they couldn't save themselves. They couldn't handle it. They were in a situation, they were over their heads, right? And so they turn to Jesus, who is still sleeping, and they say, Lord, save us. Lord, save us. Mark in his gospel adds that they say to him, a little bit of an insult. They say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? I love that. Don't you care that we're going to die, Jesus? Save us. Do something. We're going to die. Now, certainly, they thought that he could do something. We don't know what they expected. They had seen him do all sorts of miracles, crazy things. So they, 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 they went to the right source but the miracle that they were about to witness, friends, it was even beyond what they could even imagine. They wanted Jesus to do something, but they never thought that he would save them in the way that he did. Even contrary to what they had believed, they needed him all the time, even in the boat. They thought they were in control, they were not. Thomas Nelson writes this on these verses. He says, this is the purpose of storms. 
This is the purpose of storms. Why does God give dogs fleas? Think about that. He says, why does God give dogs fleas? Answer, to remind them that they are dogs. Why does God give us adversity, he writes? To remind us that this is his creation, that we are allowed to participate in it, but that he is sovereign over it. And then he writes these words, trials make us wake him up. I like that. That's what happened to the disciples, isn't it? They encountered a trial. And often in our slumber, we have to wake him up. And it leads us to yet another principle of discipleship. Disciples of Jesus not only follow him wherever he goes, they, they not only follow him wherever they go, but not only do they make him Lord over all of life, but disciples of Jesus, we turn to him in the midst of the storm. Do we not? That's what Christians do. Disciples of Jesus turn to him in the midst of the storms. Friends, one of the hallmarks of a Christian is their response to hardship, to trials, to pain, and to suffering. We turn to Jesus in our sufferings. We don't turn away from Jesus in our sufferings. We run to him. We don't run away from him. We seek his solutions. We seek his answers. We seek, we seek his savings. And we accept what may be. But we don't blame him. We don't deny him. We don't run from him. Yes, we may have moments of weakness in trial. Christian, do you ever have moments of weaknesses in your trials? I know I do. The disciples did as well. We may, we may say like they did, teacher, don't you care if... What's that blank for you? Don't you care if my marriage falls apart? Don't you care if I can't keep up with my work? <laughs> Don't you care if whatever it may be? Yes, we say these things, but friends, they're turning to the right source, aren't they? They're going the right direction. My family and I had a bit of a storm a couple weeks ago with my youngest in the hospital, and it was a storm. It stretched us, but we had a choice. Do we draw near to God or do we run away from him? And I hope and pray we, we did the first. So what about you? What storms are you in today? Not more importantly than what storms are you in, how are you responding to them? To whom are you running? Because the disciples of Jesus, we turn to him in the midst of the storm. Well, the students are afraid in verse 26. So the Savior stills the storm in verse 26. Verse 26. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. It's amazing. First, before doing something about the situation, before calming the waves and the winds, before rebuking the creation that he made, he has a rebuke for his disciples, doesn't he? First comes the rebuke of the disciples, then comes the rebuke of the storms. And so as the waves crashed and the water sprayed in their faces, Jesus turns to his men and he, he rebukes them for their little faith. Oh, you of little faith. And he says, you are of little faith in this moment because you are afraid in this moment. I'll be honest. That just doesn't seem fair to me. 
You know, I, I read it at first and I'm like, that's kind of harsh. You have little faith. I mean, they think they're about to die. I mean, the boat is like two or three feet deep, right? Maybe it's already capsized. You know, um, it just seems reasonable. But it's not reasonable. It's not reasonable. Their, their fear, their fear in that moment, it's not reasonable. It seems to call for a response of fear, but here's the difference. Had they been in the boat alone, that would have been perfectly reasonable, I think. But were they in the boat alone? Who was in the boat with them? Jesus was in the boat with them. I don't think they realized this. Maybe after this miracle, they began to realize it more. They had the creator and the sustainer of the universe, the ruler of the winds and the waves, on board. On board. And because they did, their fear was actually unreasonable. And Jesus' rebuke is actually completely reasonable. I really like Mary Baker wrote an old hymn. She called it, Master, the Tempest is Raging. And, and in that hymn, she, one of the verse reads, verses reads this way. She says, No water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. What is she saying? She's saying that there is going to be no ship that will sink with Jesus on board, right? They hadn't fully grasped that Jesus would not die aboard a wooden vessel, but that he would die upon a wooden cross. His time had not yet come. He would not die that moment, and because he was with them, they would not die that moment. And so he rebukes them. And what happens when he rebukes then the sea and the waves? It obeys him, does it not? It obeys him. Hush, be still. And it is. We have seen in chapter 8 that Jesus drove out the disease of leprosy with a word. He healed a paralytic with a word. He drove out a demon with a word. And now even nature obeys his every word. They expected help, did they not? Oh, and they got it. In unimaginable ways, Jesus was with them. Stories told of a little boy. We'll call him Johnny, because every fake boy who's five years old should be called Johnny. He was in the kitchen, and his mother was making supper, and she needed some help. And so she asked him to go into the pantry and to get her a can of tomato soup. He said, I don't want to go in there. I'm scared because it's dark. She persisted and he persisted, to which finally she said, Johnny, it's okay. It's okay because Jesus will be with you. And so Johnny walked over and he was still hesitant to go. He peeked inside. It was dark. And then he had a great idea. And, and, and so he, he kind of peeked in and he said, Jesus, if you're in there, would you please hand me the can of tomato soup? <laughs> Smart boy. Friends, disciples of Jesus should have faith and not fear. Another principle for us this morning. Disciples of Jesus should have faith and not fear. I like what John Phillips says here. He says, Why are you fearful? He said to them. And indeed, why are we so fearful when the squalls of life burst upon us? He writes, Surely the reason must be that we forget he is with us. Come what may. And he is in complete control. Even when he seems 
to us to be fast asleep and unconcerned about our worries and our doubts and our fears. I love that. Why should the disciples not have been afraid? Because Jesus was with them. Why should we, as his disciples today, not be afraid? Same reason. Because he is with us. Did he not say, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age? Well, the miracle concludes in verse 27. The storm is stilled by the Savior, and the students are in shock. Verse 27, the men were amazed. The men were amazed. In Greek, it's sort of a word that means they're, they're blown out of their minds. That's just the, my, my paraphrase here, right? This is just incomprehensible. They're, they're beyond themselves. They were amazed, and they asked, and this is the point of the miracle. This is the point that Matthew wants us to get. What kind of a man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. See, the answer to this question is the point of the miracle. This is the point. Jesus is the creator. He is the creator God. He has authority over all nature in the Old Testament specifically. Um, Psalm 65, Psalm 89, Psalm 108, and of course we see this in the story of Jonah as well. In the Old Testament, God alone has the ability to still the storm, to calm the ocean. And in Psalm 89, verse 25, it predicts that one day Israel would have a king and that that king would be able to do just that. And what do we have Jesus doing here? Is he Israel's king? Yes, he is. Is he the king of kings? Yes, he is. He is the ideal king. He can calm the storm. And not only that, but he is God. God incarnate. Emmanuel. God with us. What kind of a man is this? This is the God-man. That is the answer to their question. He created the winds. He created the waves. He has power over them. And it leads us to a final lesson on discipleship. Disciples of Jesus believe that he is the creator God. So let me, just, let me just ask you this. If you're a Christian today, what do you believe about Jesus? It makes a big difference. Do you believe that, that he is the creator of this world? Do you believe that he sustains it with the power of his word? See, disciples of Jesus don't believe that he was just a, merely a man. Disciples of Jesus don't believe that he was just a good teacher or that somehow he is a good moral mentor that teaches us good things. We don't believe that he was a religion starter or some revolutionary. We don't believe that. Friends, we believe that he is no less than God in the flesh, the very agent of creation who has all power and all authority over every single element of his creation. Friends, do you believe that? Stories told of pastor and author and speaker Tim Keller from Presby- uh, uh, Redeemer Presbyterian up in New York. He tells a story of when he was in Sunday school. And his teacher said to him, let's assume to the class, let's assume then that the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 92 million miles, let's assume, he said, that the distance between the earth and the sun was reduced to the thickness of a sheet of paper. 
right? Like this. Reduced to the thickness of a sheet of paper. He said, if that is then the case, then the distance between the earth and the next nearest star would be a stack of papers like this, 70 feet high. And the diameter of the galaxy would then be a stack of papers 310 miles high. It's amazing. And then the teacher added, the galaxy is just a speck of dust in our universe. Yet Jesus holds the universe together by the power of his word. And then he added this last line. Now, class, is this the kind of person that you ask into your life to be your personal assistant? What's the answer? No, no, no. This is the kind of person that you ask into your life to be your savior, to be your Lord. Because that's who he is. Friends, is that true of you today? Do you know this, this Savior, this Lord? Pray that you do. And if you don't, we're going to close in prayer. And you can pray with me now. If you want to trust in this, this God, this Savior, this King, you can become his disciple too. Let's pray.